0: listening to the Leadership Woman podcast with me, Jill Saville. And my guest today is Angela Bucci. She's the founder of Empowerful, and she'll tell you more about that as we go on. And I've known her for nearly two years I think we agreed Angela nearly two years now and um, but welcome to the leadership woman podcast
1: thank you so much for inviting me it's an honor to be here especially uh, given the person who is hosting this podcast I really appreciate you and you inspire all of us
0: oh my goodness (laughs) thank you Um, so you're in Albania you were
1: born in Albania So let's begin there. That's exciting. Uh, I was born in Tirana, which is the capital city of Albania, in quite a turbulent time, uh, in times of crisis, because we are a post-socialist country, and we just um, uh, got rid of the socialism back in the 90s. So um, I was a child born in in a conflict zone, in a conflict area and time of that period so um, I stayed in Albania until four years old and then we had to flee the country because of a civil war. My parents and I, in an escape of fleeing Albania to the border of Greece, we fell. Um, we, we, were, we, we were trapped into, into uh, human smuggling uh, across the border and we were deceived, our documents were taken and thrown in the middle of the border of Albania to Greece. So we had to walk for nearly uh, two days across the mountains to get past to the uh, Greek police back to that time. Uh, they were very angry. And of course, I understand them because they were receiving so many illegal uh, immigrants, but we were fleeing a country that was in a war. I still remember my dad saying that I was sleeping under a bed with shotguns because that was the only way to stay safe. So these are kind of not very exciting memories, but now that I recall everything that has happened, I can say exciting because uh, I'm proud of who I have become and of how these challenges and experiences have shaped me.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing that because not many of us have gone through the experiences that you have. And I think it's quite hard for people to, put ourselves into the shoes of a refugee, put ourselves into becoming somebody who who loses everything. So you arrived
1: in Greece, what happened then? We arrived in Greece and we moved in a small island, which was um, uh, close to Thessaloniki, which is the second largest city of Greece. And my parents had to take care um, of a the hotel there because usually in Greece when it's winter uh, there are seasonal workers staying there and taking care of the hotels because there are no tourists, but the hotel still needs to to be taken care of. So they work there, even though both of them with uh, university uh, diplomas. My mom, my mom is a doctor, my father an engineer but they had to work uh, really on very low-skilled jobs to just sustain themselves financially and to take care of me. And I'm very proud of, of what they did. And after that, we got an opportunity to move to, um, to the city center, to the Saloniki. And I lived there until the age of 15 years old. So I lived quite of, uh, of a long period of my life there. I did all the um, elementary education there up to junior high school. And then we came back to Albania. What happened then? Then I attended high school and it was very hard because after living away from Albania for 12 years, it was so difficult coming back because so many things have changed in me culturally. I, I couldn't speak very well Albanian because all my elementary education was, uh, was in Greek. So I had a lot of struggles and I also struggled because um, I left Albania in a crisis and then I came back to Albania after a crisis, after the uh, economic crisis that shot the European Union, especially Greece, Italy and other countries nearby. So it was very very shocking. But I think all of these shocking moments, they have shaped and they have contributed to my resilience right now and to also being humble of the things that I have and being always considerate of how life can make you stronger. And I know that being stronger doesn't always mean being happier or being calmer, but I think that there is a bigger purpose of of all of these that I've been through. So I can understand that experiences doesn't shape you. The way how you react towards them is what shapes you and makes you a stronger person.
0: Goodness, you're alluding to something that Viktor Frankl said, you know, we can't control what happens to us, but we can control our response. We can choose our response. And somewhere along the way, you must have learned English because I know you went to York University.
1: (laughs) Yes, uh, that was an experience that I recall with a lot of happiness. Um, After coming back to Albania and doing my university here, my undergrad I won a scholarship from the, uh, it's, it's called the Chibnick Scholarship funded by the Office of the UK, administered by the British Embassy in Albania. And I was very honored to receive that because otherwise I would never have been able to study in the UK financially. So that gave me a huge boost and a huge help to learn about um, uh, the British system, but also how the education uh, is there to expand my networking. And this is how I met you, Jill. So I'm very happy about that.
0: And actually, I'd never heard of achieving Scholars until you told me about it. And then we discovered that in the group, there's two or three of you in, in the small group that we have of the aspiring yeah. leaders. Yeah. <laughs> so the Chevening Scholars, I think I heard you say funded by the Foreign Office. In the UK, was it? So you went to York University and what happened then?
1: I studied my master's for global crime and justice, and it was where I developed my academic knowledge and research on how we can respond better to survivors of human trafficking and mainly survivors of crime. I understood how different policies and governments respond to the needs of survivors. And I did a comparative research in the Southeastern Europe to understand how actually Albania, Moldova, Romania and Bulgaria, which are the countries in Europe with the highest rate of uh, victims of human trafficking, at least as countries of origin, to understand how we can better respond to the survivors and how we can prevent it first place the victims, uh, uh, the potential victims from becoming victims of human trafficking. So that has helped me a lot. We attended uh, various groups and leadership programs such as the Cumberland Lodge program about freedom of religion or belief leaders, where we actually met the Queen of England. That was quite of a nice experience. And we discussed about how um, tolerance really shapes us as young leaders and how we can promote it for a more peaceful society and world in general tolerance. That's such a
0: wonderful word. And of course, when we look at how divided the world is on so many issues, we, we could all do with being more tolerant, couldn't we? So global crime and justice, you've talked about how you built your theoretical knowledge, your, your studies. You talked about how you began life as a refugee. Why was your focus on sex trafficked women and girls?
1: First of all, because I'm a woman, and when it comes to Albania, and that also comes from the early age, uh, I would hear about stories of Albanian girls being trafficked. And back to those years in the 90s and in, in the beginning of the of the 2000s, it was mainly for the purposes of sexual exploitation, and usually through the lover boy meth lover boy method, where girls mainly from rural areas with uh invulnerable financial situations they would be deceived by their by their fine finances um, in order to find a better life abroad and then they would find actually a nightmare uh, being exploited so i thought that there is a better way of responding to this issue and i was ready to come back to albania and actually i understood it after after my studies in the UK fully, because usually here in Albania or in developing countries, there is this belief that if you're young and talented, and you know many languages, you can have a better salary abroad, you can have a better life abroad in terms of quality of life. But for me was when I saw the UK context, where I understood that actually, I needed to come back to Albania, because there are so many things, that need to be done, and actually, I understood that we were talking before about life being unfair, and I understood that actually life is unfair. How could I contribute to this unfairness by adding a bit of a fair action? So I just wanted to do my bit in a way because I understood that it was unfair. That was the first hint of why I chose uh, sex trafficking and why I chose the work with especially girls and women in Albania.
0: Mm. And this is where we met. Um, because my name was on the York University website, I think, as a mentor, <laughs> and you contacted me. Yes. And you said uh, you, you had this idea and you wanted to set up an organisation that had an impact. Um, and I sat and thought, well, I know nothing at all. <laughs> I know nothing at all about, about yeah. this area. But I'll, I'll have a talk with you. I'll, I'll see what we can do. And we went on from there, really. So um, maybe it's useful for you to talk through how the idea in the beginning, your concept, changed over time. Because there are many people that I think start things and they're a little bit reluctant to adapt and to change because you know, they've got one idea. So talk us through that.
1: That's very interesting because it all started back in 2015, uh, where I was developing a social enterprise plan on how to help uh, survivors of domestic violence and human trafficking. I was very eager to find different ways and how to make it uh, possible, how to make it entrepreneurial. So I won this uh, Erasmus for Young Entrepreneurs program where I spent uh, almost half a year in the Netherlands trying to find out ways of incorporating the social part and the entrepreneurial part. And we started it as EREBBIO, which means new and bio. And we wanted to incorporate products from women led farms into small lunchrooms. Uh, and then the income generated would be invested for survivors of domestic violence. And then uh, I met you, Jill, and we uh, brainstormed about this idea and we thought how we can make it more accessible, how we can make it to respond more to the needs of the main target group that we are responding, which were survivors of domestic abuse and and, uh, human trafficking. And we ideated uh, and powerful. We thought about different names. First, we thought about new start and new beginning. And then it was empowerful with double L. And I've had so many people correcting me saying that actually it's with one L. And I was like, no, it's with double L because it's fully empowered. This is what we were meant to do when we uh, initiated this change in the model to actually dive in into their personal perspective and fully empower them, not just with one component, which is just getting a job, but feeling satisfied in the job that they have.
0: Mm. And You keep saying we, we had a little bit of a discussion and what I noticed about you was that you took away thoughts, you took away ideas and you completely changed them around and you wrote some more things and then you came back. The amount of work that you achieve whilst doing a full-time job I've always thought was pretty amazing and you've got an awful lot of fortitude about you, let me say. Um, so it changed from the idea then of the food and the kitchens more to this target group. And what did they need? So what did it turn into?
1: It turned into a socioeconomic model, which can be transferred into different countries uh, in the future when proved successful and can be implemented from uh, various perspectives in terms of not just a lunchroom, but it can be everything within the model. And we ideated an economic empowerment model through three different perspectives. So the first pillar is the personal development. We work strongly through a two-month intensive process with survivors in order to understand what are their saboteurs, their inner fears, what are their needs and beliefs, how they set boundaries, because we couldn't believe that somebody can be fully empowered in their job if they're not fully empowered within themselves to understand what are their barriers and their actual needs and desires about their future. And then after we complete successfully this two month intensive period, we go into this vocational training period where survivors are being intermediated with vocational schools and being provided with vocational training based on the skills and the needs they identified it in the first um, Part of the training program on personal development and the last phase which is the third one is the employment phase where they're first linked to successful enterprises let's say in Albania and they are working as paid interns next to the leadership team so they can practice all the skills they've acquired but also network a bit and then they are fully independent they are ready to fly and get a sustainable job and some of them uh, they can also set up their own uh, slow food or um, social enterprises based on their needs. For example, maybe we can talk later about it, but in in our current group with uh, our survivors, we have actually three uh, participants who are ready to set up their own enterprises, which is quite impressive.
0: It is quite impressive, because I can remember one of the conversations that we had was not everybody wants to set up their own business, do they? It takes a certain... (laughs) certain mindset to want to go it alone Uh, so at what point are you now then with Empowerful
1: we have finally started our personal training uh, sessions with a group of 10 survivors and around 10 children because what we do is uh, we understand the barriers we we are in Albania we are quite a patriarchal society if you compare us with countries like the um, uh, UK or Luxembourg where you're currently based. So I understand that saying to your parents or to your husband uh, that I'm going to on a personal development training so you just have to keep the kids is quite of a hard thing to do. So we understand that, we accept that. And we've made also a group for for their children. We have um, uh, two very helpful and supportive volunteers, my friends, who help us with the children doing fun activities so their mothers can um, can be only focused on the training and they know that their kids are safe, they're having a great time. And we are now in the training process. We are training 10 survivors. We are almost at the end of the first phase. And we found some, some very interesting insights. Maybe we can dive into them later.
0: Mm-hmm. OK. And um, I remember you got funding for this, didn't you? Yes. Be- because I, I think that's the hard thing, that, probably the hardest thing, to move something from concept and organization and paper to selling it to somebody. And I've seen you work really hard to save things. You've been on various programs and uh, Zoom meetings and various universities. And finally, you got funding to start. So you're doing the preliminary sessions.
1: Absolutely. We we were uh, blessed to have the Mediterranean Women's Fund, uh, which is a feminist organization based in France, uh, funding our work. And I think without their support, we wouldn't be able to start and to launch because you always need this small push to start. And that gave us uh, all that we needed to actually uh, wake up and say, we're gonna do it regardless of all the challenges, we're going to do it and we're doing it voluntarily. And we're very happy to do it, doing it in this way, because I believe when it comes to serving vulnerable groups, you have to be very careful about the amount that you spend on operational costs versus the amount that you spend on really meeting the needs of those who you have used their names and stories to actually get this funding. So uh, I'm very careful about this and very honoured to be given this fund and to also be giving it to to the target group that we're working with. Mm.
0: So, thank you for going through uh, your story, which is quite a powerful and unusual story. Bringing you to this place of starting, founding this organization that's going to help these people. So what did you learn along the way? I think you've come up with four takeaways.
1: Uh, That's a challenging part because uh, As I grow up, I always keep learning more and more. And I think, oh, my God, I I know nothing. But uh, my first takeaway is something that I've experienced myself. And if I wouldn't have experienced it myself, I wouldn't have believed it. So if you're listening right now and and you say that, oh, come on, we're used to listening to this story doesn't work it does work. So when you really want something from your heart, no matter the challenges, it will happen. I'm not assuring you that it will happen now or in a year, but it will happen if you set the intention. And that doesn't mean only working hard, but mainly working by your heart, which is, I think, the most important thing, especially uh, when you're doing work uh, in terms of social problems and vulnerable groups. Mm -hmm.
0: And not only will it, Maybe not come now or in a year, but it might not look like what you expected it to look like.
1: Absolutely. That was the same with us as well. (laughs) And what's number two? Number two is, it's not about me. And (laughs) that's something that uh, you have taught me, Jill, and the group that we're, we're part, the leadership group, Uh, It has empowered me to speak up and overcome my fears in terms of asking for help, because usually I would be, I'm so shy. What if I bother them if I ask them for some help? And then I remember it's not about me. It's about a bigger purpose. So I'm sure that there are so many people out there that they want to help. And I've met so many people along the way that they've helped me as you did pro bono without any, any financial gain. And I think that's, that's very unique about humanity. It just gives you faith uh, to continue. It gives you hope about the future. Mm, absolutely. The third thing? Forgiveness is not an outcome, but a decision. And I would say that uh, for me, it was among the hardest decisions that I've made. And first of all, in terms of myself, by forgiving myself, about uh, different behaviors or different things that I've said, but also forgiving others. For example, the circumstances, the way how my life went. I'm just at peace with um, how everything went and I'm just not looking back by saying why it did happen, but I'm looking back and I say, thank you for what happened and thank you for being here. Thank you for for being safe now in a safe place, in a safe home uh, with people around me who support me. So it's all about being thankful. Mm. wonderful thank you and finally finally uh, i will present you to my four words and i'm not at all about uh, armies or, or wars but i have my own four words which is the icpc which means first uh, i set the intention um, i set the goal that i want to achieve through different phases of my life then second i the commitment to stick to the goal and break it down to small achievements, to small achievable components so that I can work my way out of them. Uh, third, I am persistent. I keep going even if it seems hard, even if I'm tired, even if I had a uh, awful day, I had an argument with someone, someone at the street that crossed with a red light. I just keep going And then fourth and most important, something that I struggled a lot and I keep struggling, is celebrate. Celebrate for each small component achieved. And I think that's very unique and important in order to keep going, to keep repeating this ICPC cycle.
0: And celebration is something that I'm hoping this podcast will be for you because I always choose to ask somebody at a particular point when they've achieved one of the goals. And I know that you get into this stage where you got the funding and you've started with these women and you're starting to change lives is a big achievement. And I'm so pleased that um, I'm here today to celebrate with you. (laughs) So thank you so much for coming on the Leadership woman podcast it's been a real pleasure you're a founding member of the aspiring leaders group that that we have and uh, you've got a very key position in that so thank you so much for everything that you do and i'm sure that Empowerful will go on to be bigger and better
1: thank you so much being said by you it really means the world to me and uh, i'm looking forward to other future collaborations with us thank you so much you You're very welcome. Thank you, Anshu.